Today's episode of the Ringer MLB show is brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, where you can check out the following podcasts. I'm just going to name a few. Bill Simmons podcast, Mass Man Show, Against All Odds with Cousin Sal, One Shining Podcast, The Ringer NFL Show, Binge Mode, Harry Potter, The Dave Chang Show, House of Carbs, Larry Wilmore Black on the Air, On Shovelful, and this, The Ringer MLB Show, which starts right now. I'm running down the road trying to loosen my load. This is the Ringer MLB show. My name is Michael Bauman and I'm a staff writer at the Ringer. As always, we are part of the Ringer podcast network and be sure to check out the ringer.com where last week we had a package on the best hundred episodes of television in the 21st century, which is probably itself the most important thing to happen on the internet in the 21st century. Now, Zach Cram is on vacation this week, so we're going to bring in a very special guest to lead off the show, Shocker Saman, here to talk about some divisional prop bets down the stretch. Hello. Hi, Mike. Last week on the podcast, Bill, sort of as a throwaway, suggested that we might go through and look at the prop bets for various divisional and league playoff races after the, the trade deadline. And so with Zach on vacation and not being in a position to turn down free ideas, I've decided to do this with you. I asked for someone who loves gambling in Slack and you were the first person to raise your hand. So congratulations. Thanks. I take my role as junior degenerate in charge very seriously. Give me your first pick. I know you've prepared a few and w- let's start with the d- disclaimer that we are not professional gambling advisors or what you know whatever will will keep us out of legal trouble with this so go ahead give me some certainly yeah so my first team we're going to go to the AL West uh right now they're four and a half games back at the Houston Astros i'm going with the Oakland A's sitting at plus 1000 10 to 1 odds on Bovada uh right now they're about they've got a two game lead on Seattle um still four and a half back from the Astros but 538 gives them better odds. Uh, I really like the A's right now. Their bullpen has been fantastic. That staff has the fourth lowest ERA in the majors. Uh, Lou Trevino, the legend of Slippery Rock, has been great as a rookie. And Blake Trinan, all-star this year. Um, they made a couple uh, smart pickups around the trade deadline for Mike Fires from Detroit and Sean Kelly from the Nats for cheap. And that defense is really exciting. Um yeah, they, they also added Jairus Familia, and while I'm not a huge fan of his, if you can reclaim his old form from a couple of years ago. Yeah, he's uh, fine. He's Yeah, it's, it's, all about, it's all about bullpen depth for them. For sure, yeah. There's, there's no reason I see that that bullpen can't be really dominant down the stretch as it's been for most of the season. And it's going to have to be. So I intuitively really like this pick just because for some reason you'll get better odds on them than the Mariners at this uh, particular point in time. And the... A's not only have a lead on the Mariners, but uh, seem to be the better team right now. I would ordinarily be a little bit hesitant to, uh, you know, 10 to 1 sounds like pretty long odds, but Pakoda, uh, the baseball prospectus projection system, has them uh, closer to 20 to 1 uh, to win the division. And this is a team that I think, because of the bullpen, uh, has the potential to outperform its projections. You know, we saw Pakoda really missing on the Orioles and the Royals, two teams that. Uh, that traditionally had great bullpens a little bit earlier in this decade. And it's just, this strikes me as a team that can uh, pick up a lot around the edges. And the the Astros themselves, I mean, the the A's can't just chase down the Astros on their own. They're going to need help. And, you know, the Astros are just sort of, they're getting into some nagging injuries. They, you know, George Springer got hurt. Carlos Correa is not back yet. Uh, they've still struggled to solve that hole in left field. So I think, you know, 
the the Astros are probably about ten to one favorites in my mind to to hold on to that division, but that doesn't mean they can't be had. This is a I think this is a pretty smart play. For sure. You know, their defense is really solid. You know, Matt Chapman and Chris Davis have been having really fun years. This team kind of reminds me of a mid-2000s Detroit Pistons in that there's no, like, you know, show-stopping big names, but there's a bunch of above-average to really good baseball players who just play great defense. And you sort of hit on this. Like, part of this is, they. this would be fun to root for. You know, and that's, uh, you know, the the point of gambling, I guess, I guess, is to make money, but it's also entertainment. And this, I think this would be a fun team to sort of cash your lot in with. Absolutely. You know, it's, they haven't really had a deep run in quite a while. And so this could be something exciting. All right. Who's up next? All right. Up next, uh, we're going to the NL West. Uh, I'm looking at the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, they're a half game up on the Dodgers right now, uh, but they have farther odds to to take the division crown. They're at a plus 295, about 3-1, to one, and the Dodgers are minus 190, so about 1-2. to two. Uh, 538 gives them a 31% chance to win the division. And before we get into like really the reasons why I think they're a great value pick here, they've got seven games left against the Dodgers before the season comes to a close, which means they can really control their own destiny here. This... It doesn't shock me that the Dodgers even being half a game back, which is nothing considering they still play each other before the end of the season, but that they're favorites, just the the spread on this is wild to me. I think, yeah, I I would pick the Dodgers to win the division if, if the odds were even, but the odds here just look like three to one, like that, that just, it feels like a, there's something else at play. Like, I feel like this has got to be at least partially the result of, of the Dodgers being a so-called public team, right? You figure that that's got to be baked into this price. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, you're playing in one of the biggest markets in the country. You're very popular. You made the splash of the trade deadline by grabbing Manny Machado. And that's going to add to uh, to people just slapping some money down on your odds. But I think Arizona's got a really good shot here. You know, their batting isn't great. But their bullpen has been stellar. They've got the second best ERA in the major. Their defense is the second best in baseball in both defensive run saved and ultimate zone rating. This team is fun, even though they lost Taiwan Walker. They sneakily had uh, a really good deadline. And it sort of went under the radar because I don't know if literally every player they picked up was a rental. But, uh, you know, they got, apart from Machado, probably the best position player who changed hands, Eduardo Escobar. Um, some of the players, you know, Brad Ziegler isn't the, the pitcher he was a couple years ago, but he's helpful from a bullpen depth perspective. Matt Andreessen give them innings. Jake Diekman is good against both lefties and righties, throws hard. I've always liked him. Um, this, this team has sort of been in the Dodgers shadow uh, over the past couple years, but they're, they've been better against the Dodgers since the start of 2017 than any other team in baseball. Um, they were, I think one of only two teams to have a winning record against the Dodgers last year. And this year they're eight and four against LA. Uh, so those games down the stretch, I mean, obviously that doesn't mean all that much, uh, but it's, you know, it's better than being four and eight. So this, just because the odds are so tilted, I, I think this is worth a flyer as well. For sure. And, you know, uh, while they didn't make any, outside uh, of Escobar, any giant uh, deadline splashes, uh, Ziegler and all the other bullpen names you added, I mean, if you can bolster a unit like that, the rich get richer. Yep. So, all right, let's move on. You got anybody else? Yeah, I got one last one for you. Just going right after your heart, Mike. Uh, Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, right now, the betting markets give the Braves slightly better odds at plus 155 than the Phillies, who are at plus 165. But I really like Philadelphia here. Um, 
you know, despite the fact that they're already leading the division by a game and a half, uh, they've got an easier strength of schedule down the stretch than the Braves. And if, if you really look at who they're playing, so seven of their last 11 games of the season are against the Braves. So like I said, they control their destiny there. But then they also have 11 more games against the Mets, three against the Padres, and six against the Marlins, who they just swept. And this is another team I think had a pretty good deadline and might have gone, you know, Wilson Ramos and uh, and Asdrubal Cabrera are rentals. So once again, they didn't make, and they're not, and, you know, within the, the context of being rentals, they're also not Manny Machado. So they also went under the radar, but I think that really shored up a couple of big weaknesses. And, you know, the Dodgers were, they managed to to get a like-for-like replacement for Corey Seager, Um and the Phillies needed that not really to replace an, an existing uh, injured shortstop, but they've just been so bad at shortstop because J.P. Crawford was supposed to hold that down. He was really the only player in the organization capable of hitting anything close to to competent at a major league level while also playing a plus defensive shortstop. And he's either been hurt or... Um, or hasn't hit that well. And so Scott Kingery had to play way too much there. As Drupal Cabrera is not a good defensive shortstop, but he might not be as bad as Kingery. He's an offensive upgrade. Um, you know, talk about Aaron Loop and Ramos. You know, they also fill holes. So I think they were also smart at the deadline. At the very least, they kept pace with Atlanta. I just think you know, these odds, uh, baseball perspectives has the Phillies at a little bit better than uh, even odds, 53% to win the division. I That might be a little bit optimistic considering the Nats are still in it, but I just find it so fascinating. The the Braves, the Phillies, and the Nationals are listed at pretty close to the same odds. The Nats are still just plus 200. And I, they might be the most talented team, but they're so far into the season that I they might have just dug themselves too big a hole. Sure. I mean, it wasn't, what, a week ago that we were talking about maybe they're going to trade Bryce Harper as this team mm-hmm. imploding? Uh, yeah, I, I think the Phillies are in the driver's seat in this division right now, even if they're not the most talented team. And, you know, they've got an easier strength of schedule down the stretch. So let me, I know I told you to bring some uh, some uh, prop bets in here. Let me look at uh, the World Series odds. There's one that stuck out to me that I thought would be a pretty good get. And that's uh, the Cleveland Indians at plus, uh, plus 1,000 to win the World Series. Um, let me just... They are in. They're they're pretty much in the playoffs. Or not only the playoffs, but they're pretty much in the divisional round. And they're on longer odds right now um, than the Yankees. They're on uh, the the Boston Red Sox are only a plus four hundred. You know, if you consider the playoffs to be more random than they are uh, an illustration of of one team's overall supremacy, and I sort of fall in that camp, not entirely, but mostly. I think the Indians are are a great bet just because they've got that pretty much locked up and they've started to sort out their bullpen and they've got an incredible starting rotation and they're going to have the two best players in uh, pretty much any playoff series that that they're going to uh, that they're going to enter in uh, Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez. So I just think plus one thousand. It's not that long odds this far out, but I think that's a a. a place where the the odds are so good. I don't necessarily think the Indians are are the World Series favorite, but I think that those odds are so favorable that they would be a team that I'd take a flyer on for that bet. Certainly, you know, especially compared to a team like Boston, which has looked, you know, incredible, but they're plus 400 or the Astros who are plus 450. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's no such thing as a, a, a team that you 
that it's smart to bet four to one on to win the World Series. No, know? it it's you know plus one thousand is just at the point where if I'm looking long term betting, I'd say you know I'll take a flyer on that because like you said, I mean Cleveland and they're also in a position where it's not like the division is up for grabs. The Twins are ten games back. The Tigers are sixteen back, so they can really use the end of the season to kind of you know find their groove, find the matchups and situations they want going into the playoffs. All right, well. This was very illuminating. So thanks for for coming on and uh, telling us all how to make money, Shocker. Thanks for having me. Tip your bookies. Now, before we talk to Danny Heifetz, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Whether you're sore from a game of pickup soccer or haven't played sports in years, Mattress Firm has a mattress for every body and every budget. If you're not getting enough great sleep and would like to score big with a mattress upgrade, Mattress Firm is here for you. Mattress Firm has more than 3,000 stores nationwide, so there are no roadblocks when it comes to finding a perfect bed at the perfect price. And they'll deliver it to you the same day or the next day for free. Talk about delivering in the clutch. They're like if pro baseball's best closer took the form of a mattress. You can even sleep on it for 120 nights to make sure it fits like a glove. Mattress Firm has the perfect game plan in place to ensure you get the best mattress for your body and budget. Right now, you can use the code PODCAST10 at mattressfirm.com slash podcast and take an additional 10% off of already low prices. Head to mattressfirm.com slash podcast and take 10% off today. Start sleeping better tomorrow. All right, my next guest is uh, Grand Moth Danny Heifetz, a man who (laughs) has... Uh, developed a brand as something of a fantasy sports expert, and we're extending with the uh, the fantasy football podcast. Yeah, it's the best podcast in the entire world about fantasy football, exclusively hosted by people named Danny. So that's you and Danny Kelly. Yeah. Uh, so we're on the main Ringer NFL show feed. I'd invite you on, but we're only having people named Danny on. So Danny Chow might get an invite, but that's rough. You're not. You're not allowed to come. But thanks for having me. Yeah, so we're. I am asking you to stretch your fantasy sports tentacles, uh, which apparently you've just told me are covered in maple syrup uh, into <laughs> baseball. The Dodgers got weird food at games, man. They got that fried chicken, waffle, bacon sandwich. Yeah, I was uh, pressured, I guess, uh, into eating this by Mallory Rubin, who has the, at least I'm under the impression that she has the capacity to to fire me if she, uh, she so chooses. So I walked around a 105 degree World Series game with maple syrup all over my hands. It's the most degrading thing I've ever done for, for hashtag content. But you apparently enjoy the experience. I did it of my own volition, and I have zero regrets. Although That's me wild, and my arteries man. had a stern conversation afterward. To be young again. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about fantasy baseball, which uh, we are both losing spectacularly to Zach Cram, of course, in in the, the office league. Uh, but... You've got some insights into players who might make appealing uh, buy low trade targets or, or free agent pickups down the stretch. So we're looking at at mostly guys who um, who are call ups or or uh, recovering from injury or recovering from slumps who are owned in less than fifty percent of ESPN uh, leagues. That's that's our main focus for today. So who do you got? Who you you know who should we pick up? Yeah. Well, first off, Zach Cram in our fantasy league. It's like when he messages you about a trade it's like bill belichick like you should just hang up the phone because if they're calling it's a bad thing but i mean that's that's what i do whenever (laughs) zach calls me for any reason unrelated to this podcast (laughs) but yeah so for fantasy this year i mean i'm i'm like a roster tinkerer i kind of get adhd with my roster if i don't really like the guys at the tail end of my bench i'm like kind of always looking for the way to maximize that 
And especially when you're in a more competitive league and you're trying to get an advantage, I think that just looking at the uh, the waiver pool is always like one of the best ways you can kind of fill out the margins of your roster. And I like to kind of target two kinds of dudes. If I have a spot that's really been affected by injuries in a certain position, I kind of am just looking for like really just boring, dependable, consistent kind of guys. And then on the tail end of that, I kind of am looking for guys that for whatever reason could just get like a torrid pace going and just could have an unbelievable tail end. And Mm -hmm. I think looking for those guys for whatever reason that they're available and trying to identify who that could become, that's kind of one of my favorite hobbies (laughs) in August, which is kind of sad, but... Yeah, I mean, it's not sad. It it sounds a little sad when you put it like that, but... uh, so you want to talk about Eloy Jimenez, the yeah. White Sox outfield prospect. So it's so I mean this is an unbelievable prospect. It seems that his call up is imminent. It could actually happen at any minute. It sounds like uh, he's only owned in fourteen and a half percent of ESPN leagues, uh, but I, he he should be on a, your roster like already. And if not, like the moment he gets called up, he was Keith Law's number six prospect entering twenty eighteen. Baseball Prospectus had him at. Number four in the minors at their midseason update. He's hitting he, in 29 games at AAA this year. He's hitting 376 with a 425 OBP. He's got yeah, like. That's all right. It is. Is that, is that. I can't even count that high. But he's got like 80 raw power, but I mean, it's not rocket science, right? He's 21 years old. He could be really good. He could suck when he goes up. You know, we don't, you don't know what happens with 21 year olds, but this is just more of a mentality for me that bet on elite players and prospects like you don't know how they're going to come up but you want to find out when they're on your bench you know that's kind of true of Juan Soto like look most of the time you're betting on like like a marquee 21 year old dude they're probably not going to be that guy at 21 but if they are you want it to happen on your bench and not on the waiver wire and then someone else snaps them up and then they're just incredible down the stretch just that's someone who make room for them on your roster like figure out a way to get him on your bench and then just watch his watch what happens over the next 15 games. Yeah, and I've I've lived the upside and the downside of this this season having scrambled to pick up both Juan Soto and Kyle Tucker. Um I mean this guy it's he's one of those guys where you know what you're going to get just looking at him. He's listed at 64205, which is one of those things where I think they measure you when you're 16 and you sign <laughs> and then they don't measure you again until yeah. uh until you're like third year in the big leagues. Um I would doubt very much if he still weighs as little as 205 pounds. He is a tight end. Yeah, he's he's a giant dude with giant power to go with it. 24 home runs in 82 games uh, across two minor league levels this year. So he's an obvious guy to pick up or to keep a keep an eye out for. I mean, you might want to. Uh, I'd be crammed to, to Kyle Tucker by a matter of about three minutes at 6:30 a.m. his time. So if you're in a league with uh, with Zach Cram types, you might have to. Um, keep your head on a swivel, but he's definitely somebody that you need to target. Who else? Okay, so this is, you're going to make fun of me in advance here, but here's my thinking here. I'm going to make fun of you no matter what, so <laughs> don't worry about <laughs> it. True. Well, I didn't want to come on and just talk about, you know, the guys who are like the most added players in fantasy right now. So this is more, I'm trying to guess who might be three weeks from now among the most added players, and you can get on that early wave. And my favorite genre, subgenre of this incredibly niche genre is Guys who have just been absolutely horrible in the first half that everyone agrees that they're bad, and then because of that, everyone's a little bit slow to recognize when they're actually picking it up again. 
Uh, the best example of this ever, ever will happen was Dan Ugla in 2011. And he had like this historically awful, disgusting. He hit like 185 in the first half. Mm-hmm. And everyone dropped him. And then he hit like 296 in the second half. It was half. Like, a, a, like a 31 game hitting streak or something. Yeah. Like he's one of the, I remember, I remember that vividly because he's one of those guys who regressed to the mean all at once. Exactly. And th- that's what I'm trying to say. And, but that 31 game <laughs> hitting streak, people didn't even notice because people had literally written him off as much as you can basically write off a player. So I'm not saying that's going to happen with these guys, but more, I like to bet on kind of that kind of marquee talent, and it, it's worth always keeping an eye on. So my first guy for this is Miguel Sano. Okay. I, that's, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. But you have to, so it, not necessarily someone to pick up right now, but 36% of leagues he's owned in. But his average before going down was abysmal, obviously. 37 games, he was hitting 203 with a 270 OBP. Seven home runs, 27 RBIs. But, I mean, small sample, obviously. But in the nine games he's been back up, he's hitting 276 and a 382 OBP. So anytime you can raise that OBP 100 points, that's nice. It won't stay there, but if it's even close to that, that's valuable. But he's someone that if I see him hit like two home runs in a three-game stretch, I'm probably going to pick him up just on the off chance if he hits six home runs in a 10-game stretch and then someone else gets him and then he becomes 90% of who he was supposed to be for the rest of the season, that's the kind of player, like, you don't usually get that kind of caliber of talent on waivers, and he's someone that definitely pay attention to if he actually has figured whatever out, whatever was going on with him. Yeah, I don't know that... I'm looking at him, he's a free agent in our league right now, and I'm probably not going to pick him up, but you made the the key point there in elite talent and he's, you know, you talk about 80 power. He was, he was it as yeah. a young, as a minor, minor leaguer and a young big leaguer and everything. I mean, he had the, uh, uh, sexual assault allegation over the, um, yeah. uh, over the off season, which I mean, it may or may not be related to, to the way his production has dropped. And, you know, it's something that, uh, you got to think about, um, from an off the field perspective, but, he just hasn't looked right all year, and if he's fixed fixed the issues that uh, led to him posting a 289 OBP and then getting sent down, and you know not just sent down but sent all the way down to high A ball, that you know that's serious. <laughs> yeah. Winning doesn't matter. We don't even care about keeping you close. You've got to just go get your swing right. Um, and if he's back, you know the Twins don't really have anything to play for. He's going to get in the lineup every day. Uh, the power is definitely there. So all right, you know. And, and- to be clear, the power's not back yet. He hasn't hit a home, since, a home run since he came back. I don't want to pretend that he's like all the way back or anything. But he's someone that if a month from now he's playing like we thought he would be, it's one of those things you're like, I can't believe I let him sit there all this time. Right. I, I should say the power stats aren't there yet, but the you know the strength and the swing and all of that has always been there and probably always will be. That's the one thing that, that I'm not worried about. And him being third base eligible too is a, yeah. a big thing when you're looking to, to uh, pick up home runs. You know, it, it's not just, um, you know, I know you've got a couple first base DH types uh, lined up and, you know, those guys are it's a little more difficult to to squeeze those guys into a lineup. All right, similar vein, but not quite. Uh, I love Luis Castillo, and I love him a lot. Uh, he made me very sad this year, but he's only owned in 44% of leagues, and rightfully so because he's just been, his first half again was awful, but it's very intriguing. <laughs> so uh, in the first half, his first 16 starts of the season, 5.70 ERA, but he gave up 18 home runs in his first 16 starts. 
But in his last seven starts, he's only given up two home runs and a 3.13 ERA. So last season, when he had that great second half stretch, his ERA last year was 3.12. So he's not exactly the same guy. His fastball's still kind of dipped, but he's been actually a pretty similar-ish dude in the last six weeks or so to what we saw last season. And again, if you don't particularly believe in Luis Castillo, I don't blame you, but this is more of, this is a guy that was projected by a lot of people to be a leap guy and that a leap candidate, and especially with certain pitchers that if you can get on board when they're going around 120th or whatever in your draft, and then the next year they're going 20th overall, that's kind of the kind of guys you always want to target. A lot of people had him pegged as a person that could be making a leap. And just because it doesn't happen on your schedule, I think that those are always guys that when people lose interest and they stop being like a buzzworthy, sexy candidate, that's always a time that I think is a great place to pay attention to them and you can get in a little early. So where is he? How many how many leagues is he owned in? 44. Okay. So that's close to um, close to 50%. He's, you know, I, the stats have been great. And this sort of is, fantasy baseball is sort of the science of, of uh, surfing small samples. You know, if you're just looking yeah. for, like, if you just need a couple extra starts here and there, he seems like as good a, a candidate to, uh, to fill out your roster as anybody. Um, no, I was going to say, yeah, and don't get me wrong. Like, I understand the, the small sample size, it can drive you nuts, and you can kind of stare at that stuff. Yeah, this, this, whole, conver- <laughs> this whole conversation is under the alert small sample size caveat. And, and I guess that's really kind of the point I'm making is in a, in a vacuum, when the small sample sizes are occurring with people that not so long ago were being hyped up as incredibly talented and poised, I am always more intrigued and am more willing to bet on small sample sizes from those kinds of players who not very long ago were very hyped. All right. Who else you got? Uh, <laughs> while we're speaking about those kinds of players, Manuel Margot, another high pedigree prospect. He was in the Craig Kimball trade. He's 23. He's fast. Leads the league in caught stealing, but pre-All-Star break, he was hitting 243, 306 OBP. Post-All-Star break, he's got 304 average with a 322 OBP. I'm curious, this is not someone I'd pick up right now, but if he can keep getting on base more often, he might be a cheap source of steals. But having said that, uh, I don't know if he's necessarily a, a much better steal candidate than like Malik Smith right now. They're both owned in roughly the same amount of leagues, although Malik Smith has been a more popular pickup. Malik Smith is like 30%. Uh, whereas Manuel Margot is, he's like 22. And in a vacuum, I'm more willing to bet on Manuel Margot's talent going forward, but I would say either of those guys. Malik Smith is probably a good steals candidate, but Manuel Margot, if he actually keeps getting on base at a higher clip, I'm interested if he could make some noise going forward. Yeah, I mean, I like Malik Smith just because Margot is one of those guys who is way better in real life than in fantasy. This one, yeah. you know, I, I could see all the others. I'd I'd push back a little bit against that one because, I mean, Malik Smith's got a 369 on base percentage, and I don't think that's... And if you're in a batting average league, he's hitting 299. I don't, you know, I don't think that he's going to keep either of those numbers up, but he's at least playable from an o- offensive standpoint, whereas Margot is one of those guys where so much of his value in real life is wrapped up in the glove, and he's not in a good hitter's park in San Diego, which makes it, it makes him kind of a rough play. Like, that's kind of a rough place to go get hitters unless there's somebody, you know, you think of uh, Christian Villanueva in the couple uh, in the first couple weeks of the season. Um, so Margot's, he's a risky play, I think. And, you know, you think of, he's he's attempting a lot of stolen bases, which, uh, first of all, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's sad that 
first of all, it's a little sad that 19 stolen base attempts in what is it, 80 something games uh, that he's played. Uh, Con- or sorry, 95 games constitutes a high volume base dealer in this day and age, but he's only, you know, he's, he's, uh, shooting about 500 from the field. So that's not a great ratio that does bring up. We talked a little bit offline about Roman Quinn, who just got called up with the Phillies. He's one of the fastest players in the league and he's getting in there a couple starts a week in a crowd of Phillies outfield and also coming in as a pinch runner a lot, but is not going to give you much of anything else. Uh, certainly not from a fantasy standpoint. I'm curious at what point does that, does chasing that extra steal maybe two a week uh, make a low OBP guy or a low batting average guy, low power guy survivable? I guess Billy Hamilton is the most extreme yeah. example of this, but how much farther down that ladder can you go? Or is it just, is Hamilton the only guy you can really do that with? With the exception of games against catchers who have just been notorious for giving up steals in the last few weeks, I think chasing steals is always something that can kind of like drive you crazy. Um, but while we're talking about fast guys who are going to maybe drive you up a wall with small sample size chasing, last one, uh, <laughs> Jonathan VR is eight for 17 with the Orioles I, so far. I He's kinda, got a homer, a steal, and four runs. I kind of love Jonathan VR. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> I'm it's, glad you brought him up. Yeah, like I can't. He is un, He first of all, he hasn't been that bad this year. But I'm just looking at at not just and he's not a he's a fast guy, but he's not a stolen base only guy. Um, you know, he'll give you a little bit of power. He'll uh, he'll walk a little bit. He'll he's eligible, and this is important. Not just you know, he's not a guy you have to burn an outfield or a utility spot on. He's eligible at uh, at second base this year. He's played a little bit of shortstop in the past. It's I I kind of love him as a sneaky fantasy pickup. Yeah, it, it, he's someone who was so bad in 2017, it's kind of forgotten that... It just makes you forget 2016 was incredible, and I'm curious how this fresh start in Baltimore, if he can... I mean, obviously, keep looking, but if he actually keeps anything like this up, then he could be, like, really wonderful down the stretch. You still want to go back for CJ Crone? Oh, okay. Well, so those are guys who are you're kind of chasing high upside and the glimmer of hope that they might just give you something extraordinary. The flip side of that is really boring guys who nobody's going to look at your waiver wire and be like, oh my God, they picked that guy up. Like, they're just, they're not going to titillize you. But for starters, Jake Bowers and CJ Cron. Cron? Cron? Cron. Cron? I don't know how to say his name, but (laughs) I like him. He's, Cron's owned in 39% of leagues, Bowers is in 38, and they're both hitting a lot of home runs. And, they should be owned in more leagues. They're fine. I mean, Kron's got like 22 home runs on the year. Uh, Bauer has is hitting them at a, at a like a really good clip. Actually, Bauer has he's got nine home runs and just 187 at bats. So those are two guys, and he's got outfield and first base eligibility. So those are two guys owned in a little more than a third of leagues. But if you need power down the stretch, you know, power up is easier to find these years. But they'll do it for you. Bowers will give you a little bit of OBP, and you don't necessarily have to burn. Uh, the uh, the first base spot on him. I just I've been there, done that with CJ Crone. <laughs> like he just look, you know, like you just look at him and he just feels like a lump of first baseman. Like this is just sort of anonymous, you know, smooth faced homunculus at first base. You know, homunculus might be a little harsh because he's gigantic, but you know, it's I. 
If you want to do CJ Crone, that's that's <laughs> fine by me. You won't have any competition. Uh, He's one of those me. guys. Every league has like there's like five guys at the top of um, your free agent pool that have been there the whole season and nobody's picked up. Yeah, and there's always there. And CJ Cron is just one of those dudes who's sitting. Dude, like Max Kepler. There are like certain guys just on the outer edge that like no one ever actually adds, and they just sit there all season unemployed. Yeah, I mean. There's a reason I haven't picked him up. Just because, like, <laughs> if you can get that production, like, he's hitting 253, 24, 76 with 22 home runs. That would be valuable anywhere else, but he's first base DH only. And if you don't have a first baseman in the pipeline already, um, maybe, but you really need better production than that at your first base spot at in anything but a dire emergency. Um, but go ahead, pick up CJ Crone. I probably won't. <laughs> Okay, just a couple more for you. Okay. Boring players. Cameron Mabin. Stolen bases. My favorite boring player of all the boring players. Mostly because he's not a boring player. But pre-All-Star break, 242 average, 326 OBP. Uh, Post-All-Star break, 293 average, 408 OBP. And I'm curious, now that he's with the Mariners, if he keeps getting on base more, I mean, obviously the steals are going to go up, but I actually think he's he's actually kind of fun to own. Um, That's another guy that just is never going to be sexy or whatever, but he he just he's he's consistent. He's 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 not he's not hurting you. Yeah. Uh last one, talk about boring players that might help you out. Your favorite guy in the whole world, Lance Lynn. Not boring. <laughs> I think most people would disagree with you. This is kind of cheating because he's one of the most added players this week. He was hovering almost under 20% owned. He's already shot up to 42, but he should be higher. I mean, you know this a thousand times better than I do, but still hasn't given up a run as a Yankee. And he just, I, he's the perfect kind of player that is not sexy, but like that just seems like the perfect late season addition to your team, especially if you're in need of pitching, because it just seems like he's going to fit in really well with the Yankees. Yep. And particularly now that he has presumably gotten that uh, starting rotation spot off of Sonny Gray. I mean, we saw what he did uh, against the White Sox in his last start. So pick up Lance Lynn if he is not already owned in your league. I guarantee you he's got the spot because I saw Steiner Sports giving away free Sonny Gray signed baseballs on Twitter the other day. And that oh, was like, boy. oh, okay, he's he's a, he's he's a goner. Didn't make That's it. That's rough. <laughs> All right. Danny, thanks for helping our listeners win their respective fantasy leagues. Uh, we'll check in with you later, and uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, I'm sorry you're getting smacked by Cram. Yeah, it's rough. We should all be <laughs> used to it by now. All right. Peace, man. We'll be back with our closer, Ben Lindbergh, after these messages. This episode's brought to you by Miller Lite. Look, here on The Ringer, we have our disagreements, but there shouldn't be any debate about this. Miller Lite is the great tasting light beer with only 96 calories and 3.2 grams of carbs. That's fewer calories and half the carbs of Bud Light. So there's really nothing to talk about. If you have a real argument, let me hear it. Until then, stick with Miller Lite. Miller Lite, hold true. All right, we mentioned Lance Lynn at the end of the last segment, and my next guest and final guest is a man who has committed himself to talking about only Lance Lynn, my favorite baseball player, uh, for the duration of his appearance on this podcast, and that's everyone's favorite, the man, the myth, the Lindbergh, Ben Lindbergh. I haven't actually agreed to talk about Lance Lynn. I've agreed to listen to you talk about Lance Lynn. I just said, I'd say hello, I'd say hello, and then there'd be a 15-minute Michael Bauman monologue about your hero. Well, 
ask and ye shall receive, my friend, because <laughs> Lance Lynn made his first start with the Yankees. This comes courtesy of the stat comes courtesy of our friend Marley Rivera of ESPN. Uh, according to ESPN stats and invo, Lance Lynn became the fifth Yankees pitcher since 1990 to turn in a start of seven or more scoreless innings in his first start with the team. Uh, where does this rank on on fun facts for you? It's pretty high up there. Uh, quite a few qualifications there, but I think he deserves it. Lance Lynn's the stopper. Is he a true Yankee now? Let me tell you a couple of my favorite things about this start. Uh, first of all, the fastball command was remarkable. Second, the curveball, that sort of low 80s breaker, just the ability to massage it into the corner of the of the strike zone, that is the fin- the kind of finesse that you can really only get from my large, burly southern son who is now clean-shaven and now uh-huh. I feel like could use Jonathan Holder's ID to go buy beer if he wanted to. <laughs> These are the sort of reverent tones you normally reserve only for college baseball players. Well, Lance Lynn himself is a former college baseball player, as is <laughs> Jonathan Holder. Yes. Both of them educated in the uh, the state of Mississippi. Do you remember a few years ago, I think it was Cespedes Family Barbecue, did a whole thing about how Chris Resop grabs his junk Every time he yes. lets up a fly ball, Lance Lynn was grabbing his junk after every strikeout last night. <laughs> um, so what was most impressive to me about the start uh, against the White Sox is the fastball command. It's the the curveball command. I loved every little bit of the it's so like I think this is one of the reasons that I love Lance Lynn because this is a this is mostly a bit, but not entirely a bit. Because he just looks so unassuming in an age where everybody who comes in off the street is essentially Corey Knable and could throw 97 with a with a plus slider. And this is we're becoming a, an era of of one inning power relievers. And Lance Lynn, you like you saw him hit 95 uh, last night. We saw the big breaking ball. But the guy who can just go out and give you five or six innings it has become so rare that that reliability, that ability to to give a bullpen, even a bullpen as deep as New York's a night off is just it's it's incredibly uh, useful in this day and age. And, we, you know, you just think back to uh, like the 2011 Red Sox for a team that missed the playoffs because they didn't have an average starting pitcher that they could rely on. And I think Lance Lynn at his best is better than that. You know, we certainly showed that last night. Uh, but considering how fed up the Yankees fans have been with Sonny Gray, how unreliable, how hit and miss he's been, this is just, this has potential to be a huge addition for next to nothing. Yeah, people were questioning just a, a couple of weeks ago or less why the Yankees wanted Lance Lynn, and it was not entirely unreasonable to Who are raise these that people? question. I would say it was it was <laughs> completely un- unreasonable. He's, um, you can never have too many starting pitchers, particularly. I'm probably in the fringe thinking that Lance Lynn is as good as as what people were sort of hoping Sonny Gray would be. Would be, but I, mm-hmm. it, it's it, how many how many teams couldn't use a Lance Lynn? Maybe the Astros, and that's it. Yeah, no, Lenslin has been a valuable starting pitcher at times. <laughs> he has also not been at times, even this season. But I wasn't against the acquisition because I just figure you want to stockpile guys who can get you to the postseason and you're probably not going to end up using Lance Lynn in an ideal scenario very much in must-win October games. But you do need innings and you need reliable guys. And this is a rotation that obviously has had guys 
know, Panaka, Sabathia, these guys are old and or injured periodically. And you have Sonny Gray, who's been extremely ineffective. I thought the Yankees might just go full bullpen, but then they got Lynn and they got Hap, and clearly they still see some value in having a starting rotation, unlike the Tampa Bay Rays. So this was not representative of Lance Lynn's typical performance. This was his best start of the season and probably will be better than any start he has for the rest of the season. But I don't want to undersell it because it really was an important start to the extent that any one start in August when you're nine games back of the division leader can be. But that's kind of the point because they were coming off this massacre, dropping four games to the Red Sox in somewhat heartbreaking and frustrating fashion. Sunday night was one of those grueling, endless, epic Yankees-Red Sox games and it did not go the Yankees' way. And so they did need someone to staunch the bleeding here. And Lance Lynn happened to be that guy. And I'm happy for you. And I'm curious how your desire to root for Lance Lynn conflicts with your desire not to root for the Yankees. Those two desires seem to be in conflict. Well, I want to push back on that. Lance Lynn has occasionally not been a good starting pitcher thing, but I'll come back to that later. <laughs> I, I think you really... Un- that is a non-controversial statement. I really think you underestimate my capacity for cognitive dissonance. Uh, my fa- <laughs> I've always hated the Yankees I'm within certain professional bounds now that I'm doing this for a living, but... Uh, you know, growing up as a Philadelphia sports fan, there's a certain ingrained uh, antipathy for for the Yankees. And yet my favorite player when I was nine, 10 years old was Derek Jeter. I wanted to wear number two in Little League because of, because of Derek Jeter. And uh, it, this didn't work out for me because I was a bigger kid and all the, the little kids got all the small numbers and I'm still bitter about that. But uh I can love a Yankee without like it, like even guys like Mariano Rivera and Andy Pettit and Jorge Posada. Those that was a fairly likable crop of of Yankees in the late nineties and early two thousands. Um, Bernie Williams, you know, I can love components while still hating the whole, and that's certainly my plan for Lance Lynn. So Lance Lynn in his career has more seasons with an ERA uh, coming into the season. He had more seasons with an ERA plus over 120 than he had three. Uh, then he had seasons with an ERA plus under 100, which is one. And he was terrible for his first eight starts. But since May 22nd, uh, that's 14 appearances, 13 of them starts. He has a 317 ERA. And if you think about how late he signed and what that might have done for his preparation, we've seen guys uh, sort of hold out until spring training and then struggle to get going. Like we've seen this happen ever since that's become the norm with the Kendrys Morales and Stephen Drew thing a few years ago. And now that he's back in the saddle, man, is he ever back in the saddle? He hasn't allowed a run yet with the Yankees between this and his, his relief appearance last week. I really do think you continue to underestimate my man, Lance Lynn. I don't want to undersell him completely because there is value to having just a mid-rotation guy who will eat some innings and not sit them out too terribly. And Lance Lynn has been pretty dependable for most of his career. You're right. So he is not the marquee acquisition that anyone is going to get excited about at the trade deadline. No, this is not Justin Verlander. You know, there is value in having someone like that, especially if you're in the Yankee situation where rotation has been their weakness and he came up big at a time when they needed him to. So I don't want to downplay that too much. And 
this is a big period for the Yankees now. You know, maybe it's too late. Maybe they have fallen too far behind the Red Sox to realistically make up that ground. Although now they have to worry about the Oakland A's nipping at their heels too and taking the first wild card, which I did not expect to be a realistic scenario, but suddenly is. I brought this up when we were Shocker and I were talking about playoff odds earlier in the pod. I like BP has uh, has the Yankees at uh, 99.3% to make the playoffs. And like, I don't think it's likely the Yankees are going to fall out, but I think it's a possibility we have to consider not just lose, you know, dropping uh, ground to Oakland, but possibly if Seattle gets hot again, they're they're not on the beach yet. And I think that's that's something we need to consider. I would be shocked if the Yankees <laughs> would be knocked out of the playoffs by the Mariners, especially okay. now that they have Lance Lynn in the rotation. Uh, that okay, would be that's the fair greatest enough. upset of all time. But this is, I mean, the Yankees now, I think things do get easier for them because they have a couple more against the White Sox, which we should probably mention that that start came against the White Sox. It's a, it's a slight caveat that maybe we should mention, but then there's a homestand. It's a long one. The Rangers come in, the Rays, the Blue Jays. There's a Mets makeup game. Then they go to Miami, Baltimore. Then they come home again and they get the White Sox and the Tigers again. So this is a really, really light portion of the schedule. So if the Yankees are going to make up ground and solidify their position, this is the time they would do it. And they do still have some head-to-head games against Boston left. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that there could be another comeback. But both of these teams are really good, and the Yankees are really good, and I think that their shortcomings are somewhat magnified by Boston's lack of shortcomings. Mm-hmm. But now Lance Lynn is in town. It's a new team. All right, I'm going to ask you this, uh, suspecting that I know the answer already, but <laughs> we're in a position now where the Yankees I mean, there are, are probably safe, and the Red Sox are probably safe in their uh, uh, divisional lead, and they've got, oh, going on two months to just sort of play out the string. I mean, there's probably some danger of losing focus, but you know, how do you balance resting your resting your guys versus, um, and, and this is something that, that every team with a big division lead has to deal with as they expand the rosters. You know, it's, are you, you know, is there anything to the possibility that either one of these rookie managers could uh, could misplay this at, at in some way down the stretch, or is that just something that that sports radio people uh, talk up to have something to talk about? Right. Well, I think coming into the playoffs, how your recent record has been hasn't proved to be a very good predictor of how you actually perform in the playoffs, whether you come in hot or come in cold. But I think there probably is some value in how you manage workloads down the stretch and the rest of your players. So I think they should be paying attention to that. And one of the things that I'm kind of excited about is the fact that there is some incentive for the Red Sox to keep accelerating and to keep trying to win games because there really is a lot of benefit to being the top seed in the league and staying ahead of the Astros. And I know the Sox have a fairly sizable lead now, but the Astros could certainly make a run and make that close. And given how that changes the playoff, matchups. I think the Red Sox do have some incentive to keep playing hard. And of course, you know, if the Yankees are able to narrow the gap, that's additional incentive for both of the teams. So I'd like to see, I mean, one of the benefits of this strange lopsided American league that we are watching now, where you have these great teams and these bad teams is we have teams that are challenging, you know, worst records of all time and best records of all time. And I'd like to revel in that a little bit. I'd like to see these teams 
max out their potential or their lack of potential in teams like the Royals or the Orioles case. So I think there could be reasons for these teams to need to actually keep trying, which is good. And I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I always I always enjoy you know seeing even if they don't get to 114 or 116 wins like I just I, I want to see the uh, teams sort of press up against the other the upper bounds of what we think of as possible and yeah. we've seen you know last year's Dodgers stumbled the 2011 Phillies uh, are another example of a, a team that was sort of that was on a uh, uh, you know 100 high 100 win pace and then sort of stumbled down the stretch but all right we'll obviously pay attention to this as the the season goes on but we got to go thanks for uh listening i guess it's the the best way to put it right <laughs> my pleasure it was a, a homeric ode to lance lynn that you delivered there will be more trust me <laughs> yeah that will do it for this episode of the ringer mlb show thank you to shocker saman danny heifetz and ben Lindbergh for joining me today thanks to eloy jimenez cj crone and lance lynn for providing content for us to talk about and a special thanks to sean Yu for appropriating the term lynn sanity for use with Lance Lynn. Thanks to Bobby Wagner for producing today's episode, and thank you for listening. Enjoy the week's action, and we'll see you next time.